on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. When I think about feminine leadership, it's a very relational approach. It's a very holistic way of being. It's a way of serving others to be able to find their power. And in doing that, I believe that it reignites for those to then serve others and for them to find their power. So it becomes regenerative. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness. Realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise, 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So I am thrilled to welcome our guest today, G. Chang. So G is a leadership coach, creative director, and professor. She is also the founder and leadership director at Yumi, a collaborative design studio sitting at the intersection of brand, business, and leadership. The mission of her studio is to create a more vibrant, livable future for all of us by helping brands grow from the inside out. Her work focuses on elevating principles of feminine leadership and to move hearts and minds to greater consciousness in business, whether it be through executive coaching, brand strategy and design, or teaching at Parsons The New School. Gee, I've been wanting to have this conversation for so long, and I'm so grateful that you could be here with us today. Yeah, me too. It's been, <laughs> we have, we've had a few different hiccups along the way, but we are here. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation too. Yes. Uh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think, you know, we've we've had this show for a while and it's really especially exciting for me when I get to be in the presence of another woman of color and especially an Asian woman for obvious reasons. <laughs> so um, I always like to start these conversations off by just kind of going into the personal and understanding sort of identity. And, you know, I would love for us to kick off by having you share with us, you know, what is your identity, ethnically speaking, and, and how did your particular cultural roots and identity really shape the person that you are and shape particularly your taste for leadership growing up? Yeah, that's, um, let me see if I can answer that question briefly. So I'm Korean American. I grew up in Portland, Oregon before it was cool at a time when I couldn't wait to leave. You know, my, my grandparents actually originally immigrated to the U S and then my parents came shortly thereafter. I was very fortunate, um, to have rather, my parents were in, in some ways kind of more liberal compared to, I think, other Korean parents when I would look back and see. But I I do think that when I think about kind of the way I grew up, you know, this, I really felt the intergenerational traumas of um, being a woman at a very young age. And I felt it, like whenever I think about myself as a child, like, I just, I remember feeling so restricted or just kind of told that I shouldn't have too many opinions or be too smart or a lot of, you can't be too much of blah, blah, blah. You know, you could definitely be too pretty. I think that was in the bucket um, probably back then. But aside from that, it was really tough. And it was ironic because I actually think that behind the scenes, uh, a lot of the women in my family had quite a bit of power. It just wasn't supposed to be public facing. It was very kind of internal. And that kind of dichotomy was really confusing for me as a child and really impacted the way that I started thinking about, like, why do we need to essentially kind of keep our superpower secret? 
you know, like, why can't the world know how kind of badass you are, grandma or mom or, and it was challenging because the world around me, I felt like reinforced this idea that I was supposed to, you know, not have too many opinions or gee, you're being difficult, right? Or, and this, it, it started to ignite this sense of injustice that I felt like it's not fair, right? That, that I, I have to, be quiet or be to the side or that my opinion isn't supposed to matter as much. And it really, I think, fueled my thoughts around leadership and how I think about leadership today of different forms of leadership. Who can be a leader? You know, what does leadership look like and, and, and feel like and the different expressions of it? And so I think that kind of through the feelings of the trauma that I felt in my family actually emerged and birthed a different way of how I wanted to lead. I was not interested in inheriting this kind of quiet, bypassing way of being a woman in the world, which was not easy for my family to understand, I think, for a long time. But I think slowly, maybe they've just given up and just have resigned. But so far, it seems like, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of the way I think about my background and how it's impacted the way I think about leadership. And it's so, I think, important to reflect on that because, you know, you are raising so many good questions about how does one even architect this experience or concept or thing we call leadership? It can feel very abstract and aloof, but actually it's humans that embody that. So who gets to decide what the sort of playground of leadership looks like, you know, thinking about now and present day and Yumi, you know, I see you as this really powerful studio that, you know, is making the case for this really important and exciting and juicy intersectionality called business, brand, and leadership. Um, And I remember reading this article on your site, making the case for this, and a question was posed, which is, how do we design a more vibrant, livable future for all of us? And, you know, as we kind of take what you what you said and shared about leadership and you know how you sort of sit in that and we'll get into that more can you start off by telling us how you see business brand and leadership sort of working together intersecting weaving supporting each other yeah and just open up that story for for listeners to unpack Yeah, you know, I think that what's really special about our studio is that we think of our work as such embodiment work and holistically thinking about it, not think everyone that's part of the studio has come from usually some kind of agency background where we had like, you just stay in the lane, this is what you do, you know, (laughs) you go outside the lane. And and I think that there's um, a consensus of looking at an organization just like you would as a as a human as an entire system holistically like why why can't we look at this holistically and what would it look like if we were to and so one of the core things that we think about is just like we do as humans in our own personal practice we apply it to the space of organizations of this inside out approach like why why can't we work with organizations from the inside out we work on ourselves inside out wouldn't that hypothesis is wouldn't that also apply and if we were to what would that look like you know and this idea of 
these three categories. And, you know, this is where it is now. Maybe it changes. I mean, that's the other thing is that um, there's a lot of flexibility in conversation. But at the moment, it's like, well, would business looking at an organization through the lens of business brand and leadership really give us an inside out approach that could really, you know, allow for kind of organizational change. And that's, that's the hypothesis that we really have out there. And I think, I think that's what makes it exciting that it's like, let's put this out there. Let's practice it. Let's see how it feels. And when we think about it, it makes sense because, you know, we, we even thought about it, like in terms of the body, like the business is the body of the organization, we call it, right? It's like the foundation where everything can really stand on. And then we think about the brand as like the heart of the organization. It's like, the part of the organization that can talk about what you stand for, what you believe in, why you exist, how you're supposed to make people feel like that aspect of it and leadership as the mind. It's the aspect of it that empowers teams to grow and to, to be able to do the amazing things and create change in the world. And so I think that like for us, when we're thinking about the organization in these three pillars, it's been a way of looking at holistically looking at like what does change look like looking at it always through these three lenses sometimes we're only really working on projects with one aspect of those three pillars sometimes it's two sometimes it's all three but knowing that we're always thinking about the broader implication I think shows our thoughtfulness and our systems thinking and looking at an organization really, I think in a much more human way, rather than just kind of these functions, you know, like we're like these little, you know, so I think that that that's how we've been thinking about our work at Yumi. Yeah. It's, it's very embodied. And I love the, the body mapping because I mean, we all have bodies, we all relate to ourselves and maybe we don't language that and maybe we're not used to bringing those parts of ourselves to work or into the way that we think or speak or act in a professional workspace. But I also think those divisions have definitely sort of had to reorient themselves because of the world that we live in today, where, you know, remote working and just finding new ways to come together and to collaborate and to rethink old problems is very much shifting in a new direction. So it's really exciting. I don't know, to, to see that, you know, you, me is pioneering this space and, you know, you pretty much said this, but this was a quote from that article, and I'll just read it again because I really like it. And it goes, quote, getting to that more vibrant, livable future is going to take all we've got. Fully aligning from the inside out and working holistically to unite body, heart, and head towards the same goal. So that's exactly what you said. (laughs) And I love it. And I think it's worth repeating. And on that thread, do you feel like currently in 2021, that the brands that you see that you work with are coming to you with that holistic embodiment already? And are they connected across their body, heart, and head? I mean, I think that, well, if they're coming to us, they know that something is disconnected. So that, that says one thing. But the other part of it is it it's not generally happening in organizations. And it, it certainly can't, I don't think, because 
most people on an individual level don't have that kind of sense of alignment, right? And we're not, I mean, some of us do. Some of us are aware that there is a connection between all three of these. There are a lot of people in the world that actually don't even know that that's true. And there is a complete disconnect that's happening. And so it's, if an organization is um, made up of a bunch of people and you have people in the organization that don't have that awareness, then you're only going to produce an organization that feels like it's disconnected in so many different ways. And we often feel that, right? We often feel even in sometimes certain departments might feel more whole than others or certain organizations feel more connected than others. And looking at what's happening at the leadership level, who is really having those conversations. Um, I think that the big aspect that is missing oftentimes with organizations and and with people in general is um, the need and the impact of not being self-aware. I mean, self-awareness goes such an incredibly long way and we take it for granted. It's interesting how it's not something that should be or is in the workplace and it should be because it would make our lives so much easier and we spend so much energy at work, our life at work. And yet we're not really advocating and thinking about where does self-awareness come into play, you know? And I think that we're missing this kind, these kinds of conversations. And we're seeing that because of it, people are having the conversations around, like, I don't feel like I can be my full self at work, or I don't feel a sense of purpose, right? One thing that's so interesting right now that I think that's come from the pandemic is looking at what's happening in the pharmaceutical companies and how so many organizations and pharma, which is like such sharp elbows, how they've actually united together, right? Like how fascinating that they're like, because there's a sense of purpose that's kind of been put upon them. Like we're coming together to save the planet, to save the world, to save humanity. Like, yes, like that's so cool. And I think that when that happens, there is this kind of merge that happens with body, heart, and and mind, right? Where like your body is able to feel, right? Like you start to get a sense of like, I'm feeling what it's like to feel connected to my heart and to feel the organization have that and to be able to feel that right? All with the mind to direct it. How awesome to be able to kind of work on all three of those pillars internally. And when you can do that on an individual level and you can do it collectively as a group and as a company, it's so much more powerful. That alignment is, it's like, it reminds me of like, you know, superpowers and care bearers, like, right. (laughs) of Just like coming together and, and merging. And yeah, I think that like, um, a lot of organizations don't, don't have that thinking in mind. And I think it's a lot of the times because it's a difficult conversation to have um, at the top level of leadership. It's not something that you can really look at the ROI of necessarily. Although I think it's quite costly when you don't have that kind of self-awareness happening or really looking at how do you empower individuals to to think for themselves and you know that that whole process. So yeah, it's um so my my answer is no. I, I don't think it's happening very often. I do think, though, that what's interesting is that we have been seeing more and more organizations that are curious about integration. So that I found fascinating. And a lot of younger companies that are thinking about how might we integrate that and be able to look at this, this um, intersection. So I, I do see that happening a little bit more. 
This word integration is so core to the heart and soul of this show as well. And, you know, we're going to get into kind of what this looks like at Yumi in a bit, but you were talking a lot about inside out and how that awareness is cultivated from that place. And just since we're on that cord, I would love to hear if there is a particular practice that you do personally, you know, before starting the day or that you do maybe throughout the day when you find yourself maybe falling out of alignment as we all do. Right. And because you are the the leader and the captain of the ship at Yumi, I'm just curious if there's anything that comes to mind that really supports you to show up in that way. Yeah, that's interesting that you're asking that. So one thing that I've started to practice, and it's incredibly basic, is bringing my attention, my awareness to my body. And constantly, even in our conversation now, being able to be engaged with you, but also not so much to the point that I am not disconnected from my body. And what's interesting about that is that I've noticed that when I am bringing my attention back to my body or when I've left my attention, my awareness outside of my body, and I bring it back in, it brings me back to being present. And so I find that that's something that you can do. I can do that. I don't have to stop work to do it. Um, I can do it constantly. It's sometimes I do have to take a moment and really pull myself away from work and check in, but it takes, you know, sometimes a brief moment, a breath. Sometimes it might take a few minutes, but that's something that I've been starting to integrate and to watch because then I can begin to see what's happening in my somatic field and use my body to help inform me in terms of, oh, I think you're quite anxious, G, right now. <laughs> you know? And I and I think I'm not really anxious. I'm just driven, right? Or I'm kind of in, uh, I need to get it done mode. But I, start, I can start to notice one thing that's been coming up in my team that we've been talking about is I can tell that my drive is, is fueled by anxiety. And that moment when I could name that and I and feel that and identify that, at least put attention to it allows me to then at that moment decide, do I continue, right? Or do I need to course correct? And what does that start to look like? So something as simple as that has been really helpful. And it's actually something that I do now more often with my classes and even in our team meetings um, with clients. They actually love it. We always start with some kind of somatic work uh, in the in conference calls. I'm like, all right, guys, you know, we're getting up and I'm like, everyone up, everyone up. And we get up and we, we do somatic work and we feel the space of our bodies and in our somatic field to see what's going on so that we can come back and be together and be present. Yeah. I do a lot of fun things like that. And it's been quite uh, delightful. It seems like at least everyone says so. Wow. Oh, that's, I just needed to name that actually before we started this podcast, (laughs) I had this like little inkling of wanting to close our eyes and be in silence or just take a moment to be in that space. But then I, there was this, I'm just naming this now, but there was a little bit of insecurity, like, Ooh, is that, is that too far out? You know, is that taking up too much space? You know, people have things to get done. And so it's a really curious thing to actually just take that step 
And it doesn't even have to be so lengthy or so drawn out. You don't have to even call yourself spiritual to get in your body, right? <laughs> and so I'm so curious, you know, how, how that lands with you. <laughs> I do it all the time. I do it with, so when I teach, I have a lecture that I teach of 120 students, college students all around the world, and they know the drill, you know, it's like, and and I do different things where it's like, all right, guys, we're getting up and we, you know, we'll do everything from stretching different parts of our body. We might do a breath, a few breaths together. We might be shaking, you know, sometimes it's also just helping with our nervous system. We might do like tight squeezes and let go and just see where we're releasing. And it's interesting. It's interesting to see the insecurities that come up and then also how that dissipates because people are on camera and they get kind of self-conscious and it's like, I'm doing it. You're, you know, you're going to do it with me. I've done classes where we have different body dispositions with music and we we play with different types of modes of being and with clients you know whether it's a beginning of a workshop or a call or sometimes even in a presentation halfway through we'll just I'll, I'll look at everyone and see I can tell that they're they're exhausted you know like they're zoning out it's like all right we're taking a time out everybody stop pencils down we are getting up we are stretching, we are moving those hips, we're opening those hips up, you know, like whatever gunk is in there, let's do it. We're opening up that back or, or even if I can see them getting a bit defensive, right? If I can feel that energetically, it's opening up your heart, right? It's just like, let it all in. We're here together. We're, we're going to build trust this way. And it really is changes the dynamic. Yeah. You know, I think in the beginning, I probably was a bit insecure about it as well, but at the, at the same time, it's like, I don't know unless I try. And so I just tried it. And I, I, I said like, this is a learning experience. I'm here to learn just like you are. <laughs> We're doing this together. And I say that as a teacher and I say that as a consultant and I say it as a coach and it allows for us to be together and explore together and be vulnerable together physically, especially in a time of Zoom where it feels like there's so many barriers. And we have had so many clients always say to us how much they enjoy our meetings and our, our workshops. Sometimes we have three-hour workshops and those are long and they're just amazed with how engaged everyone is, how um, fun it is, how they've just found it to be so enriching and creative. And, you know, our team is really proud of it. And a lot of it has to do with being able to allow for space for us to be in touch with our bodies. That feels so good in my body to hear you talk about this, G. And I really appreciate that space that you create by guiding people back into the intelligence that's already inherent in their bodies. And perhaps we don't typically come together and come around that. Um, so it can feel like a foreign language maybe to some people, but I think, you know, and as a yoga teacher myself, like I always ask, like, what does it look like to do yoga off the mat? What does it look like to take your meditation practice? Or you, you don't even have to use those words, but what is it like to take your practice off that cushion, off that like little corner in your bedroom, you know, that's really private, that's very sacred and actually move it and integrate it in your life because then you are actually being in service to the conversations you have, to the work that you do, to the strangers that you meet. And that creates that ripple effect that 
can be very tangibly felt. And I almost feel like in what you just shared, you actually are describing leadership, which brings me to my next question, because you have evolved from this role of creative director to this role of leadership director at UMI. And I am so curious about that journey and what really moved you to make this big leap into this leadership role and space that you now live in. Yeah, you say it in a way where it's so exciting. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it is exciting. I shouldn't say it's, I, but it's just, it, it's interesting watching you and listening to you talk about it that way. Because my journey was that, you know, I, I started as a, traditionally as a graphic designer and these aspirations, right? It's like I'm coming to New York City and I'm going to be a graphic designer and I want to work in advertising and I, I want to be a creative director someday. And I, I build, right? You build your my portfolio and my work and my experience from the graphic designer to an art director to a design director to a, a creative director. And, you know, there was just a couple of years ago moments where it started to become clear to me of where I was spending my time. And the truth is, is that there are creative directors who spend time thinking about concepts and designing and, and really like immersed in that kind of um, content and work. And I certainly was doing that, but energetically, a lot of my time was really spent on how do I support my team to be the best versions of what they can be what what do they need to have and I also thought about that quite a bit with clients it wasn't just the work it's like who do they want to become and how do we help them become that right like not just as the organization but as leaders of the organization like who are you what motivates you what are you interested in and I don't think she's she's I have a dear friend and a strategist uh, who worked with me a couple of years ago who didn't say it blatantly but when she heard that I was a leadership director she's like you've always been that way with clients like it was always you're always asking these questions about their existence and like it was so ontological it wasn't these questions of brand brand and design you know it was like like what do you aspire to become and what is your worldview and what needs to shift in your worldview for you to become what you want to become and so it was really about two years ago where the conversation started around doing more leadership work. And it was really last year where officially was like, gee, it's time, you know, like my team, I, I love them and they're so great. And they would be like, it's, it's time. It's time that we need that because we also began to see clients that needed support with how might they embody the organizational work that we were doing from a brand perspective, right? How do you now begin to walk the walk? You can talk it, but walking it is so different. And what does that start to look like in terms of who you are and how you lead and how you speak and how you think about process internally and also externally? And so that I think the team in service of our clients, and also I, I will also say in service of really looking at me being okay and, and leaning into where my strength already was, and being okay to shed an idea of who I thought I was into this new form um, is how the leadership role for me has evolved. Yeah. Wow. So 
it's like these questions you were asking your clients, it's almost like you were already asking yourself those questions. You were demonstrating and embodying your own process and then helping other people achieve that as well. Yeah, of course, right? That makes sense. Because we- Right, inside out. Inside out. I mean, it makes sense, right? We are going to, how we see the world is the way in which we project our worldview, right? That's how it is. So I'm seeing these people and I'm like, I want so badly for them to, right? See their, be their leaders, be the way they want to be. And of course, in doing that is also me kind of fueling myself and learning how I need to step into my role of what a leader looks like and being okay with shedding this idea of who I thought I was and, and understanding that this is, my transformation that needs to happen. And, and it's, it's interesting because I have designers on in our studio who are like, you know, it was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm taking the leadership director role. They're like, oh, that makes sense. I'm like, what do you mean? That just makes sense. Like no one's sad. No one's too sad. <laughs> like we got it. Makes sense. That's what you should be doing. That's what she should have been doing all along. And I, I, it's very humbling actually, because I feel like they've just been so patient waiting for me. Like, we're just going to, we're going to be there for Jean. We're going to wait until she's ready. <laughs> and when she's ready, we're here. We're all ready to fill whatever spaces we need to fill. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, and this is, I think, a perfect segue into what feminine leadership is because, you know, that's such an intuitive mm, set of words, phrase, like, actual form of leadership, but it's not something that I read about or see about or, you know, in mainstream media so much. And I just, I just want to, you know, ground and uh, frame up these, you know, next few curiosities of mine with something that I, that I read, which is not going to seem like news at all, but it's good to contextualize. So in this world, right, that you sit in sort of branding, marketing, communications, you know, men are still the ones holding the majority of leadership positions. It's not news, right? Some uh, resource I found broke it down into 67% male, 33% female. And, you know, at Yumi, it's, it's, I believe, right, an all-women's design studio, as of now, it's all women's, not intentional, but it is all women's. It's all women's at the moment, not intentionally. At the moment. At, at the yeah. moment. Yeah. And, you know, your work focuses on elevating these principles of feminine leadership. And I just also want to bring in this lens, which you shared with me before our podcast, which was that you have a background in Tibetan Buddhism and yoga as well, these embodiment somatic practices, which I imagine all of these strands and passion points and, you know, trainings and areas of expertise and exploration all are intersecting in the way that you really express feminine leadership. So, I mean, I would love for you to tour us on what is this thing called feminine leadership? Yeah. It's such a, it's so interesting with feminine leadership because it, it's become this kind of interesting taboo conversation um, or a difficult conversation, maybe. Maybe that's really more the correct way to, to phrase it. And so I'll, I'll talk about how I view feminine leadership, which may not be the view, which I don't actually know what the view is, but this is how I'm thinking about it. For one, it's, um, and we often hear about this, 
hear about it this way. For one, it's um, it's not based on gender, right? So it's a quality, it's a style, it's an essence. And there are certainly men out there who exhibit feminine leadership or feminine qualities um, more than even some women. And so I, I, I really am cautious when I think about the word feminine and in terms of the concept of feminine leadership to ensure that it's it is meant for all gender expressions. And I actually think for myself per- personally, although I have someone on my team that told me that she thinks it's a blind spot of mine, but which I actually very much appreciate it. But um, I always talk about how I'm still learning how to embody feminine leadership. You know, I've learned much like most people in a patriarchal system, right? I've learned how to be a leader in a very masculine way. And so feminine leadership is also something that is a constant practice for me. And, you know, oftentimes when I think about feminine leadership, it's really about the idea of powering with, or sometimes even powering behind to create transformational change versus powering over to create transactional change. And by the way, I will note, it's not neither good or bad to power over or power with or behind, because sometimes you actually need leaders who do need to power over. It is like, you need someone at the forefront, them taking charge. They need to tell directives. It is a crisis moment. And that is the way it needs to be done. And that is certainly something that we must have sometimes. Now, there are also plenty of times where you don't want that. You really want someone to power with you or to support you and to be able to foster growth. And we all know what that feels like, right? When we have that or when we don't have that, right? When we're being told what to do rather than how might we consider redoing it or how might we consider cultivating it or thinking of it differently. And so when I think about feminine leadership, it has that kind of flavor. It's a very relational approach. It's a very holistic way of being. It's a way of serving others to be able to find their power. And in doing that, I believe that it reignites for those to then serve others and for them to find their power. So it becomes regenerative. It's feminine leadership to me is creative. It's like where creativity comes from. Like it's all creative. It is, it is organic and creative and abundant and beautiful and um, regenerative. And it's that kind of counterbalance, the masculine leadership that puts it into action, right? And so we need to have both of them. It's the yin and the yang. I think oftentimes as creatives, we often get into such production mode. Like we got to like, how many, you know, it's like, how many times have we been in situations where it's like you get three rounds of revisions or there's two opportunities, you know, you took two pathways, it's option A or option B. I mean, it's so tough. Like, what if you have like eight options, you know, like, what do you mean two options? Like, you know, it's like both and, you know, option three and four. And I see that in our team because we are very, um, that, that creativity is robust. And so it's hard for our team to, to just whittle it down to path A and path B. It's so binary. It's a very difficult thing and it feels restrictive. And so, I I don't know, that's like feminine leadership to me has that sense of co-creation and and it's process-oriented and it's possibilities, right? It's conversations of possibilities. 
rather than conversations of action. That's that's how I think about the expression of and the style of feminine leadership. You said such yummy words. Again, I just went into the body with it and it is embodied and it is holistic. And, you know, I just, I just think it's so, I don't know if it's unusual, but for me, where I sit, having come from the more traditional agency world, you know, it's, uh, it's really cool that you have this creative director CD background, you know, with this design thinking sort of ethos that you can bring into the way that you Uh, express feminine leadership. And I'm curious, you know, this intersection of having been a creative director and having had that experience of thinking in that way and producing in that way and bringing that into your style of leadership. In what ways do you feel like that perhaps like old identity, like shaped this new role, this new evolution that can help you show up to, to really lead, you know, creative people or designers in this feminine way. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that one of the things that I think about a lot is the role that I have now is being able to create this container of community and collaboration and incubation. Like it really feels like there's space where when our team creates there are no lanes, right? We don't have like a a copywriter and a strategist and a designer and a UX designer and a visual designer all in their separate lane saying, I can only make comments on what I know based on my discipline. That's not true. I mean, I think that we all bring our full selves. We are a collective by design, which allows us to honor and respect who we all are, not just how we show up at the studio and not just in our discipline, but also our history, right? All the things that we're interested in. We have people that are yoga teachers and philosophers and activists and environmentalists and and um, and just like, you know, foodies and, and writers and poets. And there's just such interesting people. And so if we have someone who is a designer by trade, but also loves to write, why shouldn't she be able to contribute and talk about her ideas of the way that words were chosen in in a piece of copy, right? And so it allows for like me thinking about this space of creativity to be more fluid and to be more open. And it allows for us to kind of take down those barriers. Whereas before, I think my traditional creative director role, because of how I was trained, it's like you you stay in your lane, right? You do your part and then you pass the baton and you don't necessarily get to see work end to end where our team members from the moment a project comes to us, even if your role isn't till, I don't know, three phases or four phases later, you are part of the initial kickoff. You are going to see us you know, tilling the soil and planting those seeds, you know, and doing that labor so that when it's your time, there is a sense of you respecting what's come before you to honor that and to be able to then continue to cultivate that soil, right, for the next part of the project. And I think it really gives us a sense of continuity. It really gives us a sense of unity as an organization. It gives us a sense of empowerment. Like I think that different times team members will feel like, I don't really get to see the end of it and how sad that is where you get to start something, but you don't have any opinions or say about how the end result looks like, like that's fun. 
And so I think that like a lot of the ways of which I've been taught historically and trained, I've taken understanding aspects of it, but also looking at where are the opportunities for breaking down those barriers will create more innovation and connection amongst team members. And I do believe that in by doing that, by doing so, the work is better, the relationship with the client is better, and we can be in full service, you know, as we do that kind of work. So that's how that's evolved and kind of taken what I've done in the past and bringing in what I think about feminine leadership looks like in the space of design. And you know what strikes me about what you say is that Again, it comes back to that inside out philosophy where if you want the best for the brands and organizations that you work with and you're preaching inside out, then it's so important to also do that within your own organization and make sure that your team members really feel cared for, listened to, seen in all of themselves, not just the part that lands on the resume and that's just the way it is. That's your lane. Stay there. You know, you're really bridging that you know, not just storytelling externally, but story doing internally. And the two are inseparable. And, and that really, really inspires me because, yeah, in my sort of old identity as a production person, I was told like, I can't have a Mac, <laughs> you know, I'm not allowed to have ideas. <laughs> this wasn't at all the places, but this one particular place that I shall not name, it just, I was like, I was like, wait, is this a joke? <laughs> you know? And so I, I really can relate to what you're saying around people are multifaceted. And when you can remove those blockages and allow the full self to show up, innovation is infinite. And, you know, why as a, yeah, as a creative agency, would you ever want to put a limit to that? Um, especially now where we understand that the more diverse an organization is, the more it actually does outperform its counterparts that aren't as diverse. And that diversity exists within ourselves. It's not just, you know, the, the ethnic makeup in the room, although that is important, but it's also that inner diversity that sometimes doesn't get to see the light of day because we don't have people like you that are creating spaces for people to really show up in that way and to feel excited about that, not scared or timid or, oof, I don't know if I'm supposed to or if that's appropriate. And what a crazy thought to have, right? Right. Creativity to me is because I feel like so much of the feminine energy is a creative energy. It's a place where there must be an acknowledgement when you are in the creative mode, when you are creating, when you're collaborating that there has to be an acknowledgement that you are whole in order to create. And, and it's interesting because I've been thinking about this. I was talking to a, a colleague of mine, we we're talking about creativity and about, um, he was asking me like, how, how do I deal with not feeling like I'm good enough, right? When I'm designing something. And at the time I had said, Every good creative that's out there doesn't think they're good enough. And that's what makes them good is that there's this, this like need, right, to be good enough. Because what's come up recently for me is that in the moment of being creative, in the moment of creativity, there is a sense that you actually are good enough, that you are full. 
You can't come to the table feeling I'm not good enough and be creative. It's like saying, you know, how many times have, I don't know if you've done this, but I certainly have done this where I want to draw and I say, well, I can't draw. And so therefore I don't, or I don't know what to draw. I have no ideas, right? That sense of, I don't have enough. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough idea blocks me from, from me even being able to create anything, right? And so in order to actually be creative in that, in that specific moment, now what surrounds that may be a sense of I'm not good enough. I don't know. But in that moment of being creative, there is actually, I think, an acknowledgement that is being done of, I do have ideas. I am full enough to give to continue giving, to be able to provide, to be able to contribute, right? And so when we come together as teams to have space where people feel safe enough to say, I do have something to say. This is a place for me to be able to create so that I may acknowledge and ultimately it's acknowledging that you are full and you are whole in who you are, right? That there isn't a question of, is this appropriate or not? Of course it's appropriate. If anything, you know, it's more than appropriate is how I feel like true creativity and collaboration should be. That's how it should feel. And it's not something that I think we are taught, you know, in college, in art school, certainly I wasn't taught that way. It was like, bring good ideas. And even in, in the, the professional kind of ad industry, there's so much pressure So then when we think about these terms, when I think about these terms of there are no dumb ideas or no dumb questions, like, of course there's not, right? Because in your fullness, how could there be? It's just putting it out there. So I I think about, yeah, like it's unfortunate because I think that the pressure we put upon ourselves limits our creativity. So if there's safe spaces where you are promoting and acknowledging each individual's wholeness as they come to the table, right? It allows for diversity, allows for that innovation, it allows for ideas. That's that's where you create fertile ground. That's what needs to be done, I think. And often it's not. And it's something that I think a lot about, you know, internally with our team and also ways in which we engage with our clients as well, right? How do we also create that kind of fertile ground where we also collaborate together and teach them how to do it together? Like that's a whole other, right? And 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 to be able to show, right? Like, yes, bring your ideas and we're going to bring ours and we're going to work together to find and co-create a solution that feels like it is the path forward, right? How we want to grow. What does that look like? And and we use that word language a lot. We talk about how we want to grow. We don't say how you want to. This is how you should grow. I mean, we really become a part of the organization and we look at like, you know, how do, how do other people talk about us? You know, we, we include like, we're part of your company. We, we identify with you. We are part of you. That kind of merge, I think is also a nice way of being, right? It doesn't have to be you and versus me, this kind of binary way of being. It's like, we can be you, me, and we can be part of your company at the same time. Imagine that, right? <laughs> imagine, imagine, right? It's not like one or the other. And that's how I think about our team members. Like you can be part of you, me, and be a part of our collective and be a part of other organizations and do other things 
and be able to do that and bring that here and talk about it and share with us what you're doing. Like, it doesn't need to be one or the other. We don't live that way. Why do we pretend that that's true in the workplace? I think it's built into your name though. Yeah, well, it is, right? You and me is what it's about. It's like, it's going to take you and me to do this. We do this together and we, we bring our full selves. And I have a lot of people on the team that are always really surprised where we'll have team meetings and people kind of share what they're doing. They'll talk about freelance projects that they're doing at this job or that job or other things. And, and I love it. And we celebrate it the Slack channel where they'll show other things that they're doing and they don't, you know, when they're at their other projects or other client work that they're doing, they can't talk about it's considered inappropriate. You know, you almost put on a face that like, this is the only job I have. It's the only thing I do. I don't do anything else. And it's not true. We know it's not true. Why would you pretend that that is so? You should celebrate work that you're proud about. And and you should take things that you're learning at the Yumi team to other team members. And if there's things that are really cool that you're doing with other teams, bring it to us and let's, let's learn and grow from that. And so like, that's a big part of it as well. It's like, how do we, and we also think about that with our clients. Like there might be certain types of processes that clients do. We're like, that, that is so cool. We're going to integrate that. And there are things that we do where we'll share say, you know, we're noticing some things that you guys are doing. Here are some things that we do at Yumi that might be interesting. And we lay it out for them. You know, here are some, some uh, ways in which we think about retrospectives or how we give feedback that might be really helpful for you guys to use internally as you begin to shift and transform, you know, in this space that we're in right now together. Calling it how it is, right? Just trying to be as human as possible in how we really solve problems and think about the way that we relate to each other and collaborate with each other. And it's so refreshing. And, you know, I want to pluck out uh, these series of words that I found on your site. I forget where, but moving hearts and minds to greater consciousness. And I, I really, I love that because if, if we didn't know, right, anything about you, me, or anything about you, just that simple statement alone can apply really to anything really, right? Like how can we really unite, you know, the the leadership or the brain you said, and the, the heart and the, the creativity? What does the heart represent for you? Creativity, right? And unite these, like we just get more impact. We get more um, service. We get more innovation, just more abundance in general, right? We don't even need to categorize what that is. And you've shared a, a quite a number of examples now about how, how this um, expresses itself um, in the culture at Yumi. And I guess, you know, could you, you know, do any particular anecdotes come to mind for, you know, a particular client that you've worked with or, you know, a way that you've had to solve a challenging problem where you've always come back to this mantra almost about, okay, like every problem that exists has a solution that can really be an opportunity to really bring more alignment into heart space, head space, so that it's not just solving this one isolated problem, but like we're all collectively as partners, as co-creators, almost elevating our consciousness and taking this lesson that we're gleaning from this particular work challenge, but then that's feeding into other areas of life that we should celebrate. Like, does anything come to mind recently where you made that connection and thought, wow, like 
feminine leadership has no bounds. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Well, there's a few things that that comes to mind as, as you were speaking. One is there's something about feminine leadership that has so much to do with building trust. And there was a, in our team internally, a situation that happened, I think it was a couple of months ago. One of our design directors um, was having, you know, had done a bunch of designs for a client of ours. And it's a client that, that I've known for quite some time. And I'm feeling really confident about this client. Like I, I get them. I know what they like. I know what they don't like. I know kind of where they're growing edges. What's a stretch. And there was some designs that our design director was showing. And I looked at it and I thought, no, this is, this is, this is going to be too much. This is totally out of bounds for them. I don't think this is what we should be doing. Let's go with option two and three and let's toss on number one. And this design director kept pushing back, you know, it's, and she, she was pushing back. She was pushing hard. And I had given my rationale and I said, I, I think this is, you know, and I kind of leaned on um, other team members who at the time, I think really believed and aligned with me as well. And as the design director was pushing back, I could see myself kind of lean into my authority, right. Of, well, I have final say, so I'm just going to call it what I think it should be. And I could watch that happening. And in that moment, I could decide, okay, I'm going to just play the way that I've played being a creative director or a leader, right? A leadership role from my old kind of agency days. Or if I'm really thinking about what feminine leadership means and how I am here to not just call the shots, that's not what it is. Feminine leadership is about creating and cultivating the soil to create fertile ways of being, right? It's like, it's to be able to like, think about how am I going to support my team members to be the best versions of themselves? What do they need rather than what's my opinion? What do I think? And so I kept asking and she had some strong rationale and I stopped and out of respect for her and why she's here, knowing that I believe that she's here because of who she is in her wholeness, I said, you're here for a reason. And if this is what you believe in, then I am behind you by 120%. If you feel like we need to go this direction, if you need, if you feel like we need to choose it, then I have your back. I said, do you feel like it's that important? She was absolutely. I said, okay. We showed the work two days later and the client was over the moon and chose that option. And I just, I died. I just, I was so, it's interesting because I could see like, an egoic part of me could have been really hurt, I guess, like I was wrong, but I was so proud. I was proud of our design director for being clear about what she was. I was proud that I was able to just let go and trust my team for who they are. That And I, and I said, thank God we have her. Like, that's why you're here to be able to also teach me where there's areas where I have room to grow. And I think as a leader, being able to be okay with that, to show that, you know, to, to look at team members being like, you know what, you, you were right. And I am so glad that you were right. You know, and, and that is creates humility for me is just a way that I think about like ways. I hope that we think about elevating our consciousness, our awareness, right. Of where we see our ego, 
kind of come in and trying to reinforce a way of who we think we are rather than learning to let go. So that that's the story that kind of comes to mind for me. And so to watch that moment and say, okay, Jay, you got two, you got two pathways here, right? Is you just decide it's going to be your decision or you decide that you trust the people you have and you believe in them. And even if it goes south, you are just behind them no matter what, that this is how we grow together. This is how we take risks together. Although I would say she didn't think it was taking a risk. I felt like I was taking a risk. She's like, I already knew the answer, right? Which is so amazing. Um, I love that. I am very fortunate to work at a company that I got to create where I learn something new every day. It is pretty awesome. It's really very, it's so cool. Every day I learn something new from my team and I am so grateful all the time. And, you know, as I say, I'm so grateful. Like one thing that our team has done is at the beginning of meetings, we have a ritual where we stopped it for a bit and now we're reinstating it again. And I don't know what happened, but it's a good moment where we're reinstating celebrations at the beginning of a meeting. What are we celebrating, right? What are we grateful for? And then we go into kind of our laundry list of what do we need to do today? But it allows us to be present, allows us to um, to acknowledge each other, to take a moment, you know, and just relish in our amazingness. And I feel like that in itself is, it does elevate our consciousness because it's not just being in the action mode. And it's also not being driven by anxiety, which so much of our work can be. You know, we have anxious clients. It's an anxious time in the world. And it's easy for us to absorb that as makers, as creators, uh, feeling like it's all on us. And it's not, you know, we do this together. And so to work together, to know that we can lean on our clients, they can lean on us, but also internally within our ecosystem, you know, we have each other to lean on and to help each other uh, is a really big part of the way we work together at uni. Gratitude practices can never lead you astray. <laughs> and I remember before we, we, we came on this podcast, you joked about you know, maybe one day the title of leadership director will just be like chief gut officer, you know, because you're just, you know, our gut is our second brain, right? Like science has showed us that we have, I don't know how many millions of um, neurotransmitters that live in our gut and connects to our brain and like the two are talking. And so when you have that, ooh, that gut feeling that, mm, this is, this is right. Or mm, I don't know about this client, or I don't know about this. I, I think I feel this way about that. That is actually maybe not logical, rational thinking, but it's something else. And it feels really important. And, um, you know, on the show, we, we like to explore, you know, what's the old story dying out? What is the, the status quo that just isn't relevant anymore? Goodbye. <laughs> like, thank you for teaching us what you taught us. And what is emerging? What is, what can we look to? What can make us excited about where we're headed? And so, you know, I, I bring up the chief gut officer because when you said it, it was a great laugh, but I really sat with that. And I thought, goodness, I mean, are we really allowed to feel into our gut 
in the way that we design, in the way that we produce, in the way that we do the work that we do. Um, and how can this new story of leaning into that help us reimagine this space of business brand storytelling? Like what, what, what do you, what do you see in this landscape that's opening up in this new story of leaning into this intuition almost? Yeah, it is your intuition. I mean, it's such an incredible power to have, you know, I have colleagues of mine, uh, in different industries, uh, men mostly actually that will oftentimes ask me to meet someone, um, that they know or sit in on before the pandemic, obviously, but sit in on uh, a lunch or a meeting just to, they wanted me to get, they, they just were really interested in my opinion of my read on them, you know, and it wasn't a technical read. It was just, what does your gut say about them, G? You know, because you have this intuition of, you know, what, what are you feeling? And, and, do you feel like they're good? They're a good person or their motivation. And I think that it is such an incredibly powerful tool. And it also requires so much of our awareness to be in tune with our bodies, right? Because you have to listen to it. You have to be able to say, okay, my, I'm not feeling well, or even the subtleties of what's happening in your body, right? And is it always going to be in the pit of your stomach? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's your sweat glands. Maybe it's a different part of your body. Maybe it's your hip getting a little tight. Like whatever that is, being able to be that tuned to start looking at different signals that your body is also saying that maybe your mind is deciding to override, which that often happens. Certainly for me, there are times where my mind is like, you got to power through this. And, you know, your body is like, Break it out in hives, like hello. Right? Like, maybe you don't need to be powering through this. Maybe you need to, to you know that. And it, it is like a strange but very uh, common phenomenon. I know so many women who have had some kind of iteration, you know, where they're powering through and they're breaking out at the same time. And you you can tell their skin and their body is like this isn't this isn't working. And there's um a pride that's happened, right? Where it's like, our mind is so strong and it's, it's not, it's actually, you've taken the power, right? You're real, like another source of your power away. It's quite sad. And so, yeah, I, I think that this idea of being a chief gut officer, I, I really, maybe someday, maybe in the near future will be so courageous enough to have that as my title. I think it'd be awesome just to have that be, because it should be. It really should. It is an important aspect. And even in our team, when we oftentimes look at clients or even projects that we're working on, we have a moment. We're like, how do you guys feel about this? And it has nothing to do with like the scope, the timing. It doesn't have to do with the budget. It doesn't have to do with the actual assets. It's like, how do you guys feel? And someone will say, I don't know, gee, I get some, it doesn't feel good, you know? And I say, well, how, how does someone else feel? And they're like, I feel the same. And they're like, I can't put my finger on it. It's like, once I have a couple of those type of comments, it's, we got to pass. And that's a legitimate reason for us. It's doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. Or something feels off, or I don't know what it is that, that, that is, that works for us. That works for me. 
And what I think strikes me about this is, you know, how many times have you been in a, in a meeting, right? With people that have all sorts of titles or whatever, and there's all these power dynamics and, you know, you want to say something, but you don't know if you have the evidence to back it up or if you have the authority to even raise your hand in the first place, or if you have a right to even have an opinion about something, but something just tells you, you should just say something, but I don't know to who, to what format. And then in the end, you just swallow your truth and, and, and goodbye. And, and, and maybe if you had spoken up, you could have connected to someone or at least be seen in, in some, some perspective that, you know, other people in the room weren't carrying. And even just the act of knowing that you have a right to, to share whatever you want to share has value. That's already feels huge. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I mean, what's so cool about our teams too, is that it's all, all the projects are based on consensus. I have to have full buy-in from everybody on the project to take on a client. I can't just take it on and say, this is, you're doing X, Y, and Z. It doesn't work that way. It must be something where uh, the team buys in, everyone is in, they are committed. There is, there is accountability. You know, they believe in it. They have kind of skin in the game in their own way. And it really shows in the work. And so I think that there are times where, I'll have someone say, no, I think I'm going to pass on this project. And I'll kind of poke around like, well, is it something that's going on with you personally? Is it something that you're not interested in? And sometimes I'll be like, I don't know. There's just something about this one. You know, they say this, but they're doing this. And it just, it's not exciting to me. It's not really innovating, you know, the way that, and then I'll hear someone else say it. And I hear someone else say it. And I'm like, okay, well then we, we pass. And we do that quite often. We pass on quite a bit of projects, or it's really clear of saying, someone saying, you know, I'm getting a sense that they really want it to be like this, but for me, for us to do the work that we really do for us to bring our magic, right. This is the kind of work that we need to do. So if they're willing to meet us there, to grow in that way, to be on the journey with us in that way, then, then maybe we can consider it. And we do that often. And that really lets us Um, naturally kind of filter who's working with us and who's not. So we don't just take on projects for the sake of we need to get another project in or we need to meet our billings for the quarter. It is very much aligned to what's happening with our collective gut, you know, feel for all of us, right? Because we all have different needs and wants and, but it's collectively, are we aligned? Does it feel good to us? How do you create a studio, a creative space that is collaborative and consensus and open and, and respectful and abundant and create, you know, all these different things where you can bring your full self, where you can be multifaceted and do this and do that. And, you know, like, what would that look like? Is that possible? Right. Because in that space, it's like, maybe you don't have like the normal means of control where you're on a very specific timeline and you have to meet specific uh, numbers or quotas or KPIs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's actually trusting that 
thinking and feeling and being holistically with everyone, not just like your immediate team, but everyone, your client, uh, vendors you work with, just people that come in for a project or two. It's, it's, it's all aligned and there's no, yeah, there's no like manipulation of the system. It's just, it's just trying to be a good human that listens and cares like it's so simple it's like you just come you know you come and you work on something that feels enriching to you right that that feeds you that also you can give to and that you there's this like reciprocal kind of respect and creativity and 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 support and that that's the big question it's like is that possible and I, I think it is I don't think it's something that you know, coming out of the industrial revolution and the way that we think about work, it's not a, a system that we've built, you know, historically, but that doesn't mean it can't be done. And that to me is so much of the essence of what in a feminine leadership should feel like it. it it's just like this big, you know, ground breeding ground of creativity, creativity, like what does that look like? And how do we do it in a way where it's mindful, right? And productive, right? So that's why there is a sense where, yes, we bring in other aspects where we do need to take action, of course, right? Of course. But the truth is, is that all of us on our team, and I would say majority of people in general, we are kind of trained to know how to do that part. Putting into action, putting into production mode is our MO. We know how to get stuff done. Just how we are we are trained. Now, the part of us that yearns, most of us as creatives, so much is um, being nurtured for our creativity, you know, being able to foster that. Like we so badly want that and we can put into action. We can work. I hope we're not, I hope no one's working this late right now, but, you know, putting in long hours, but that's not necessarily how the good work is produced. And I think that there is a misconception that pressure creates good work. And I actually don't, I don't think that's true. I think it, it creates a lot of meltdowns and a lot of, you know, just a lot of mental health issues. I think it creates a lot of scarcity mindset and self-deprecation. I don't think it's, it's a healthy way of being. And I don't think it's the only way to create what does a new wave of this new way of being look like and how do we think about using our gut as one metric, because that is a real one that we need to consider of how to be. And so as we move into envisioning this new emerging space, I just, I just want to give kudos to Yumi and just name, you know, some past projects that you've worked on, you know, on your, on your work page on the website launching the lightest blockchain, turning tights upside down, reimagining the future of food, giving girls a leg up. I love the way that you name impact, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, whatever line of work, it's, you know, really trying to understand how are we creating um, impact in what we can do and show up to do. So, you know, when we think about inside out, leadership, feminine leadership, all of these emerging um, narratives that you are um, testing and pioneering at Yumi, if you could envision or imagine just like a dream partnership, or it doesn't even have to be specific if nothing comes to mind, but just 
a dream project that you would like to manifest this year in, in your role as, you know, a feminine leader um, and with what you've already created at UMI? Can you imagine something that would just be, I don't know, your favorite dream project or manifestation in 2021? I would normally have a list in mind, but I will say right now, one of our clients that you mentioned um, is a crypto client. And if you had asked me if we would have a crypto client two years ago, I would say (laughs) absolutely not. We have no knowledge in blockchain. Uh, I don't know how that would ever happen in my wildest dreams. And yet here we are. And they have been an amazing client to work with. And so I think that what I've, and and we were able to work with them because of our values. We're very values aligned and very appreciative of that. And so it's it's a challenging question because I think that there are so many um, types of companies and organizations that I've never really even considered to be within my, my wheelhouse you know, as a possibility and learning that, oh, actually, maybe there are other ways of like me learning too, of expanding the work that we do of how feminine leadership is actually coming into this new wave of leadership and the way of how to be. I mean, the organization for this crypto client too, we actually named the organization as well. And and um, I think our feminine leadership mindset really made an impact on how it was branded and how it was um, how it how it relates to humanity, and so the only client you know I, I don't have a client in mind, and I and I used to, and I think that's quite interesting because as we look at new possibilities with business internally, we're like, we're our target clients, and we have like a blank. You know, <laughs> we're like, I don't know, maybe something in. Maybe we'll do a few things more in tech. Some sustainability work would be cool. Something um, uh, in government might be interesting. In education, we've done some stuff in the past, but a little bit more work in education. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the types of clients that we want are the ones who want to be part of the growing process, the, the journey, who are really there to have the courage to expand and to do this kind of work. I mean, um, some of our best clients really are now doing leadership work with us as well. And it's, it's amazing to be able to work um, from a place of doing brand work and then start really developing thought leadership. What does that look like? How does that sound? And understanding the importance of the mindset that's needed of how they need to embody and carry their organization's ethos. And so I think that that the the dream project is really finding more clients that are are willing to um, venture into the unknown, to shed the old way of being and have the courage to try something completely different and know that they have a partnership and working in partnership with the studio would be the dream client. So it's very open, but, but that's how it the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I like that you didn't go right into trying to define it because, you know, we all can create a list if we had to, but actually staying open to possibility and welcoming everything, again, it feels like feminine leadership. So It does, it does. And we have sometimes, you know, clients that like referrals that come to us, we're like, oh, that's interesting. I 
didn't think that we'd ever consider like a project in that, you know, vertical, but we're like, okay, you know, and, and it's exciting. It's exciting to think about something different and how do we apply our lens, our way of how we communicate in our way, our process into areas that are actually not so much in that space, right? Like crypto is not a very feminine space. Blockchain is not so uh, friendly to the feminine. It's been very rewarding for us. Yeah. And maybe perhaps because it's not a traditionally very feminine type of business, perhaps there was a desire to find that balance. And maybe that's why the resonance came together. One can only speculate, but I like that you mentioned yin yang earlier because I mean, those kind of are the laws governing nature and nature will always uh, rebalance itself. Like no one needs to tell it to homeostasis. is just kind of baked into how life generates and continues to generate itself. So it's like anyone who thinks we can control that process is, you know, just kind of living in their own little story, but yeah, being being very real and opening up the space to, yeah, just welcome everything um, is is really valuable. And coming to close, I always like to ask, what is, and you know, we've been talking about you know leaders, and you know, I know you also teach students at Parsons, so you know, from where you sit, it, can you leave us with a message or a question? that we can reflect on beyond this conversation. And if you want to speak generally, you can. If you want to speak to someone who, who who's interested in feminine leadership and, and wanting to uh, begin walking this path and or someone who is perhaps just starting out in life and, and is just wanting to embrace uh, the qualities that you're talking about. It doesn't have to be someone who necessarily wants to be, you know, a leader in an organization, but just maybe be a leader in their life. Um, you can just take that any way you want, whatever feels good in your gut. The thing that comes up for me immediately is I didn't actually think about this in advance because I wanted to see what came up during our conversation. I would say to consider taking a look at when you are doing something, how much are you putting, how much are you putting your energy into um, serving others and supporting others? And how much of it is in service of yourself? And what is the cost of serving others versus yourself or the cost of serving yourself instead of serving others? just kind of an open question. So that's something that I think about and would open that up to your, your listeners and see what, what comes from that. I'm definitely going to reflect on that question myself. (laughs) I think it's, it's very much about we're all in this together. Like how do we really truly walk it? And what are those barriers that keep us from really stepping into something that perhaps we want, but we don't even quite know how to access yet? Yeah. I mean, I I think about that because I also, it's an interesting question because there's a lot of different things that come out of that. In some ways, we're in an interesting era where we're so focused on ourselves and what I need. What do I need? What is, you know, we go into work of like my needs 
And then there's also times though, where some of us will actually go into different family situations, relationships, even work situations where all you're doing is serving other people and not yourself and understanding the balance of how much of that ratio is serving someone else and serving me. And what is the cost of those two aspects? Can I take a look at that and see? Because it's not one or the other. It is both and. But understanding uh, when do they come into play? How do you do it in a way that creates that kind of balance, I think is important. Because we don't want it to be in a situation where you're serving everyone else and forgetting you. That That's no fun. But we also, I think, and I guess this is a question that I have for your viewer or for your listeners is when you just serve yourself, what, you know, what's the cost of that? And what does that look like? What's the price that we pay for just thinking about ourselves? It reminds me of the, the practice that you shared with us earlier about when you're in the presence of another, how much can you be present and at the same time without losing your own center of gravity and your own awareness that you are still in your body, right? It's that kind of dance of how much energy, like you just said, am I committing to myself um, versus another? And when you go through that series of questioning, perhaps you can arrive at a place that feels like your, your edge where it feels in balance. And one final thing, G, there's been so much wisdom and so much depth covered. If, if any of our listeners want to connect to you, me, want to connect to you, just continue this journey of learning and growing, um, how can they find you? You can email me directly. You can also check us out on our website at yumidesign.co as well. And if you're more comfortable sending a little message there, I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me there. So anyway, always are doable, workable. Well, thank you so much, G, for being a guest on our show, for who you are and just what you're creating around this new story of what's possible with feminine leadership and really practicing what you preach. I think that's that's been the, the pearl for me today, just hearing the practice. Perfect. This was great. Thank you so much. And for all of our listeners today, thank you so much for tuning in. If you feel uplifted, shifted in any way, please share this episode far and wide. Give us a share, subscribe, or review, whatever feels good for you. And we will see you next week. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.